Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Now, when you read scripture, you will find that all over the place, you're giving, given examples of people to not be like. That there are people who are sort of held up to us as and the Bible's saying, don't be like this person. There's Samson, who's just a picture of impulsiveness, and he's rude. When you look at the way he speaks to his parents, and the Bible's saying, don't be like that person. There's Judas. We all know that guy. Right? His betrayal of his good friend, his stealing from the money bag, Ananias and Sapphira, their dishonesty, their selfishness. They're, they're held up and saying, don't be like this person. But we also get good examples. There's the example of Ruth, her loyalty, her, her willingness to work hard in order to help herself. There's Jeremiah, his perseverance. Think about this guy. Everyone hated Jeremiah. God actually told him, your ministry is, going, is not going to be a success. And he perseveres, he works hard, he speaks the truth to a culture that actually doesn't want to hear it. And then there's Mary, the sister of Martha, who shows us how to have our priorities in order, that she sits at the feet of Jesus and learns from him. There's Nehemiah, who's this picture of leadership, and and he has this ability to inspire other people to do things, his, his, his good planning. These people are held up as examples to us. And today in our text, we're going we're gonna to get two other examples. These two brothers who show us that we should be people who strive uh, to, to live, live, live a good example to other people. They show us that as we live our lives, we should strive to be people whose examples others want to follow. When you think about your life, do you, when you look at it, would you say other people would want to follow the example that I'm setting? Because that is one of the goals that we should have. And these two brothers give us this great example because both of them embody Philippians 2 verse 4. They look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. They were willing to do that. Look at verse 19 in chapter 2. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send, Tim, to send Timothy to you, to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. Remember, Paul is in jail, right? His life is on the line. And he says, he says I'm going to send Timothy to you. But, but he doesn't want to send him just yet because he doesn't know how things are going to turn out. And so he doesn't want to go through This rough experience on his own. Verse 23 says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Paul is in the midst of a trial. His situation is difficult, but notice he doesn't want to go through this all by himself. 
He actually sets a good example for us that we are not to try to go through things on our own. In the letter of James, it says, we will face trials of various kinds. The, the Bible promises that part of our living has hardship in it. We're going to go through tough things. We're going to face trial in aging. We're just going to get older. Our body is just going to start to sort of not do the things that they were able to do. Yesterday, I was in my kitchen and I just went down on one knee and it took me like two minutes to get up. And I was glad that my boys weren't there because it's just kind of embarrassing to get off the floor. But there's trials in that. We're going to have trials in dating. We, we meet someone and we think, it's, this is going to work out. This is going to be it. And, and, it, and it just doesn't. There's, gonna be, there's trials in singleness. There's trials as you watch your kids grow up and they don't follow the Lord. There's trials in marriage. There's trials at work. There's difficulties in church. There's difficulties in our health, in our finances. There's difficulties even sometimes in where we live. The place that we're living in is not where we want to be. We face struggles. And Paul teaches us here that we are not to try to go through those things alone. That we don't have to tough it out. See, we're called as a church to bear one another's burdens. But here's the thing, we have to tell each other our burdens. And I know it's not easy for us to let people into the things that we're struggling with. I know that sometimes preachers get up and they say, do this. And you're sitting there like, it's not that easy. I get it. It's not easy to just invite people in to what we're going through. Why? Because some people have failed us in the past. We let each other down. And sometimes we fear, will, will people fail me in the future? Then there's the reality of pride. The reality that, that we don't like other people knowing that we are struggling. But don't let fear and pride keeping you from receiving the help that other people want to give. And here's the flip side of this. If you pledge your help to someone, do what is necessary to keep your word. It's a two-sided thing. We need to ask for help, but when you say, I'm going to help, then do what is necessary to play your part. See, the reason why Paul is sending Timothy is that he's actually sending him to check if this letter has made a difference in their life. He's sending Timothy because he's holding them accountable. And accountability is a good thing. So many people are struggling in their life, and the reason why they're struggling is because they've rejected accountability. They've, they, they're, they've drifted into the reality of pride, that I, they're not allowing someone to enter in and to say, you have made this commitment, you have said you're going to do this, and I'm holding you accountable to that reality. Accountability is a good thing. And Timothy is going to do that. But notice, you're going to notice some things that Paul says about Timothy. Verse 20. He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. I was a son with a father. He served me in, with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Paul is confident. He says, he says, I'm going to come, but for now I'm sending Timothy to you. Confident that he'll come, but he also highlights Timothy's character. Do you notice that? And our outline today is it's just a question. What kind of people should we strive to be? Here's the first answer. People whose character can be commended. 
Strive to be a person whose character can be commended. Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. See, Timothy was actually with Paul when this church was planted. And he cares deeply about his brothers and sisters in Christ. See, his genuine concern for them is part of what it means to seek the interest of Christ. Gordon Fee says, no one seeks the, uh, says, says one seeks the interest of Jesus Christ when one looks out for the interests of others instead of his own. Timothy embodied this. Paul says, I have no one like him. See, there were people in Rome who were only concerned about themselves. Verse 21 says it. It says, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. You know, a non-Christian will sometimes wonder and say, why is there so much injustice in the world? Why is the world the way it is? People genuinely ask that question. Well, the answer is right here. They'll see things like domestic violence. They'll see things like the exploitation of the poor. They'll see things like totalitarian governments, human trafficking, child neglect, adultery, abuse of authority. And they're like, what is wrong with with this world? Well, the answer is right there. The answer is human selfishness. A selfishness that resides in all of us. And it's this selfishness that compels Jesus Christ to step out of heaven and step into our brokenness and begin the process of restoring and bringing peace to it all. See, Jesus looks at our selfishness and he meets it with his selflessness and calls us to live in a very similar way. See, Timothy's behavior resembles Paul. He cared for others, and he wanted them to be in the best place in their life. And we can be this way too. Something that I always try to say to our church is the things that the scriptures talk about, we can do it. We can be this way because the Spirit lives in us. People who are genuinely concerned for the welfare of others and doing things to make sure that people are cared for. And maybe you're like, how can I know if I actually am, I am caring for the welfare of others? Here's some ways. You're living the gospel and sharing the gospel. That's just a way to genuinely be concerned for the welfare of others. I'm living what I claim to believe. That is affecting my behavior. And when I'm around others, I'm sharing with them as the Spirit leads me. I'm sharing with them about Jesus Christ. You're giving practical support to others. Clothing, food, shelter, food again. You can tell I like food because I made this list. You're you're giving these things to those who are in need. And then just this, you're following up with others. Prayer. One of the best ways to genuinely care for the welfare of someone is just to pray for them. To ask God to do the thing in their life that you know you cannot do. And calling a person, texting. How about this? Just being present. Not showing up and just throwing uh, Christian cliches at people. Trying really just to make yourself feel better. Just being present. Just like, I am just here for you. I don't even know what we should do yet. I am just here. That is a way we can be considerate. Timothy 
was concerned for others, but he was also reliable. He was also reliable. Look at verse 22. It says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son, he served with me in the gospel. That word, proven worth, in the Greek actually refers to to the character of a person who has remained faithful in a hard time. It's speaking about character. See, Timothy showed his character in a hard time. Now, you got to think about this. How can Paul say this? Because serving with Paul was not easy. This was a brother who was running for his life half the time, beaten. Right now, the letter that he's, he's writing, he's in jail. And through all of that, through all of the difficulty, Timothy stands with Paul. See, other people walked away, but Timothy looks at Paul and he says, I got you. He sticks with him. He is reliable. He he proved his worth. His character was tested and he passed. He was someone that Paul could rely, rely on. And again, we can be reliable people. And many of us are that way. I don't want to just sort of stand here and say, like, we have to be this and not realizing that some people are this way. They are reliable. They are someone other people can depend on. But some of us, if we're honest, we need to grow in this way. That we need to grow in our reliability. Psalm 54, uh, 15 verse 4 says, The Lord honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word whatever the cost. See, sometimes the reason why we are not so reliable is because we start to realize the cost. And nobody, nobody lived this verse better than Jesus Christ. He is the picture of reliability because Jesus Christ kept his word knowing the cost knowing that it would cost him his life, but he goes through anyway. And that's why we are sitting here in Christ, knowing we can truly depend on him. And when we remember who Jesus is, when we remember what Jesus has done for us, we can become those people who are reliable. The power is found in the gospel. Timothy has strong character. He was reliable. He cared for others. But also, Timothy was willing to take direction. Timothy was willing to take direction. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. Verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as as soon as I see how it goes with me. He was humble enough to follow instruction. Timothy was willing to follow. That is why he actually gets to lead later. He was was not proud. He was a humble man. St. Clair Ferguson said this. Leaders must prove themselves first by serving serving with others first. It is thus that they learn not only how to lead, but what it's like to be led. So many people want to lead, but they don't want to follow. See, there's nothing wrong with wanting to lead. The Bible says that he who desires the office of an overseer desires a noble task. The person, the Bible says, who who longs to be a pastor desires a noble task. The Bible's not saying wanting to lead is bad. But here's the thing. Getting to lead too soon is dangerous. 
If your character has not been tested, if it's not been forged in some hard times, when leadership gets put on you too soon, you're in danger and the people you lead are in danger. And humility needs to go deep in us. We need to first learn how to follow and trust that when God, God knows best, he will give me leadership when he is ready. So we need to follow first and trust God for the influence. It's a sign of character. Do you know that? It's a sign of character that you're humble enough to wait, to wait for God to allow you to leave. Paul is not sending Timothy just yet, but he is sending Epaphroditus. Verse 25 says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, worker and fellow soldier and your, mes- uh, your messenger and minister to my need. Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to care for Paul. And Paul sends him back with this letter. But notice he says some very important things about his identity. And his identity is actually our identity. It's the way we are to view ourselves. First he calls him my brother. He says, I'm sending you my brother. Christians are, we're family. Now let's just be honest. Family sometimes can be pretty tough. Family life is not easy. We hurt one another. We let each other down. But families that are strong, families that stay together, aren't families that abandon each other when things get tough. The families that are strong, the families that stay together are families that say, I I love you, I'm going to speak the truth and love to you, but we're staying together on this. And so things are going to happen in this church. Our church is very young. I said it, I think, a couple weeks ago, five months old. And as we go along together, things are going to happen where we're going to hurt one another, but we must be ready to forgive. And we will be able to forgive one another when we remember just how much we have been forgiven. And then he calls him a fellow worker. See, following Christ comes with a job description. Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men and women. We have a job to do. When, we, when you chose to follow Christ, you signed up to work. And he calls him a fellow worker. And our job is to make disciples, to spread the gospel around the world. And we can do it as we depend on the Spirit, but also as we work together. Notice he says, fellow worker. Jesus send them out uh, two by two. He sends out 72. He doesn't say, Marv, go all by yourself. The reality is, is that I have some gifts, but I don't have them all. The reality is that you have gifts. And as we come together, and as we say we've been given a job, we need to work at it together. There needs to be unity in that if we are truly going to advance the gospel. And then he says, my fellow soldier. And that should tell you, you're in a battle. The Christian life is, as John Piper would say, war. And last week, we talked about just how hard it is just for us to deal with our flesh, remember? Sanctification. When you get up and you're like, ah, I can't do this again. It's because you're in a real battle and the spirit in you is refining you and making you like Christ, but your flesh hates it. 
Because for years we've been trained in bad habits and the Spirit of God is working those habits out of us. And so it's hard. We're in a battle. The sanctification process is not easy. But here's another reality. We're in a battle with a real spiritual enemy. You should have said amen. We're in a battle with a real spiritual enemy. And that is why it is so hard. He says we are, to, we are soldiers in this war. Ephesians 6 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. There is a real enemy trying to destroy you. And so many people don't take that, that seriously. And we need to. We have a real enemy who's trying to harm us. And so we are called by the Bible to put on the armor of God. So we're not supposed to sort of go into battle, just sort of expose. We're to put on the armor of God. And here's what that armor looks like. There's the armor of the word. The armor of the word tells us the truth. Truth about God, truth about our identity in Christ, tells us the truth about culture. We are to put on that armor. You're like, how do you do that? Well, it's making time to be in the Word. And I'm not telling you exactly how that works itself out in your life. You know your time, your schedule. You know the things that are on you. You need to sort that out with the Spirit's help of what it means to get into the Word. For some people, it means in the morning. For some people, it means in the afternoon. For some people, it means at night because that's just where they are. And that is okay, but we are to put on the armor of the word. Then there's the armor of salvation. The reality that we have been saved in Christ and that we have the ability to live rightly, reminding ourselves of gospel reality. When the enemy throws his darts at you, you are to remind yourself, I am in Christ, loved by God. Saved, going to heaven. I have hope. I am not without hope ever at all. Then there's the armor of faith. We are called to trust God's power and his promises to us. Some of us in this room right now, the reason why our life is hard, even in this moment, is because other people are telling you the promises of God and you refuse to trust it. You refuse to let the word of God wash over you and take deep root in your heart. And you should in that moment wonder, if I can't trust the promises of God, if I don't believe that God is good, ask yourself, and I'm going to say this because as a pastor I'm responsible to say this, ask yourself if you're truly saved. If you look at what God says about himself, if you look at what God says about you, if you look at what God says he will do and you doubt it, Ask yourself the question. I'm not saying you're not, but you need to ask the question. Am I truly in the faith? Because if I can't trust God, I don't have faith. And you need to be willing to ask that question. Then there's the armor of evangelism. Now, nobody really expected that one. But a good defense is a good offense, right? The Golden State Warriors a couple years ago, we need to go on the offensive to be willing to say, I'm not just going to be sit back and pushed into a corner. I am going to take the neighborhood for Christ. I'm willing to share my faith and be out there. And you will find encouragement as you watch and see people come to faith in Christ. 
Then there's the armor of prayer. So important. We gather every month, once a month for prayer. We're going to do that tonight. And I'm, I'm hoping that you will come back to pray. Because we need to ask God in prayer to give us the ability to do all of these things. We need his help. He has to work in us. And so we put on the armor of prayer saying, God, you have to do it in me. The spiritual uh, warfare is real, but notice that God gives us the armor to fight. And you have to put all of it on. I was talking to Shay on this week. We are talking about the sermon. He, he just looked at me and goes, Marv, we can't put on some of the armor. We have to put on all of the armor and trust that God is going to help us. Then he says he, that he was a minister and messenger. He ministered to Paul. He gave him words of encouragement as they sat in, that, in jail. And he met his practical needs. And we have to be ready to do this as believers ready to minister to others, meet their practical needs, and give them words of encouragement. And we do that for the believer and the unbeliever. Galatians 6.10 says that we are to do good to all, especially those in the household of faith. Epaphroditus was sent to care for Paul, but he got sick on the way. He's sent to look after his needs, but he got sick. Look at verse 26, it says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. It says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says that he was near to death. He almost died, and and. And as he was sick and ill, do you know what he was doing? He was longing for his friends at home. He was worried about them. In his sickness, he's not even thinking about himself. He's longing. He's saying, I, I, I just want to bring some relief to them. Paul says he had been distressed because you heard that he was ill. See, he kept going even though he was sick. Why? Because he wanted to bring Paul, joy in prison. Why would a brother keep going if he gets sick on the way? Philippi, the distance between Philippi and Rome was long, and he kept going. Why? Because he wanted to bring joy. The question, what type of people should we strive to be? This is our last point. People who sacrifice for the joy of others. People who sacrifice for the joy of others. He was sick, but he, was, he recovered from the sickness. And Paul says, God had mercy on him. Just, a, just this quick little reminder of the character of God, that God is merciful and that everything that God is doing in your life right now is goodness and mercy. And that is not an easy thing for us to receive because some of the things going on in our life right now is hard things. But that hard thing is making you like Christ. That's the goal, our sanctification. And so it's goodness and mercy. So we get this reminder of the character of God, but we also get a reminder of where we need to go when somebody's sick, to God. He is merciful. And so when we're, we're wanting somebody to be healed, we go to God and ask him in, in prayer to heal them. Paul didn't want to see his friend die. He says, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He survives, and Paul is relieved. Now, here's the thing. Paul 
could have kept him with him. When he fully recovers, he could have just said, okay, you're good now, stay with me. Stay with me until you figure out if they're actually going to execute me. But he doesn't keep him. He sends him back. And you're like, why? He cared about their joy. You're like, where are you getting that? Verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul says, I'm eager to send him to you because I want you to rejoice. His love and concern for them made him willing to sacrifice. He he is more than likely chained in a corner to someone. And he says, I am anxious about you though. So I'm sending him back, willing to sacrifice so that they can have joy. See, bringing joy to the life of someone or restoring joy to the life of a person who has lost it will take sacrifice. That is a guarantee. And it's not just a one-time sacrifice. It's an ongoing sacrifice. Think about the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. He sees this this, this person, this human being, busted up, beaten, jumped, treated as less than a human being by other human beings. He sees that injustice. And he doesn't just pass on the other side like the other people do. He steps in and he helps. And when you read that story, you realize it cost him his time, it cost him his resources, and he agreed to come back later. It takes sacrifice. And again, some of us are already doing this. Some of us are already sacrificing. But here's the reality for a lot of us. We need to pray and ask God, where in my life are you calling me to sacrifice so that someone else can experience joy? And just prayerfully discern and ask the Spirit, show me. What do I need to do? And when the Spirit shows you, because when you pray a prayer like that, He will show you. When the Holy Spirit shows you, then by faith, walk into it, trusting that God is going to use it. When Epaphroditus gets there, he tells them to receive him with joy. Verse 29 says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy. Honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Again, nearly died. He says, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, that may sound like Paul's complaining. He's not. He's just acknowledging there's distance between us and some of my needs you could not meet, but this brother, you sent him, and he did meet those needs. He did what you sent him to do. And that's why he says, honor such men. Why? For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Sacrificing for others is the work of Christ. See, Epaphroditus almost died doing his job. He almost died doing his job, the job that his home church gave him to do. Almost died, but think about Jesus. He willingly died. Jesus didn't almost die doing the job his father gave him to do. He willingly died 
on the cross in our place. This brother points us to Christ, the one who truly sacrifices for the joy of others. That's the whole reason why Jesus goes to the cross. Because he looks at us and he says, the way Marv is living his life, the only thing that is coming to him is misery. Even right now, if he's honest with himself, he is in misery. Some of us in the room are not in Christ. We're not believers. But the truth is, if we answered the question, how do I truly feel? It's misery. Because I go for the same thing again, hoping, longing, that the joy that I'm wanting, this thing will provide it, and it doesn't. And I come up empty again. So what do I do? I go back and I try again. And I come up empty. So I go back and I try again. That is misery. And Jesus looks at that and he says, something has to be done. A sacrifice has to be made. And Jesus Christ willingly makes that sacrifice to bring joy to our life and that's why there's no one like Jesus Christ in him our victory is one he is our salvation it's in him that we find all of our hope joyfully sacrificing for us so that we could have joy and as we strive to be people whose character is commended who live in these ways that, that other people look and they say, I want to I I follow that example. As we strive to sacrifice for the joy of others, do you know where you have to look always to find the power to do it? Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives us the ability. He sustains our ability to live in these ways. It has to come from our reality in the gospel. If I'm not look, looking to Christ, I won't be able to do the things that are are being talked about. It's in looking to him that the spirit fills us so that we can live in these ways whose whose character, people whose character is commended, people who sacrifice for the joy of others. Stand with me as I pray. Father, in your infinite wisdom Father you see our need and you meet our need Lord God in your son and Father today we've heard about people who are have unexpected things happen in their life and they need help and Father I thank you for the work that the pregnancy care center is doing that they're seeking to be a part of the solution. They're telling someone not to do something that is unwise, but they're saying, here's how we're gonna help you in doing that. Why? To bring joy to their life, joy that that person doesn't even see just yet. And so Father, thank you for the sacrifice and the work that they're doing there. I pray, Father, that you would help us as a church to continue sacrificing in the ways that we already are, but also, God, for you to show us other ways that we can be doing that and to joyfully walk in it so that others can experience joy. And God, thank you that you work in us, Lord, so that our character can be something that others commend. God, we are not without hope. 
Last week we talked about this, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And so we thank you, God, that you are working in us. We thank you, Father, that it will be complete. And I pray that we would walk in a spirit of dependence upon you and leave an example that others could truly follow. Ultimately, because when they look at our life, they see us being like Jesus Christ and that all the glory would go to him. And so continue your good work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.